Good morning. Welcome to All People's Church. Today is September 4th. Sister Denise is continuing with her series on Spiritual Warfare, Armor of God, Part 7, Sword of the Spirit. Denise? This is going to be the conclusion of teaching about the armor of God today, and then there will be one verse that we'll come back and pick up on later, and it will, it's about prayer. So our theme verses today will be Ephesians 6, 17, and 18, and I'll read that and we will get started. Ephesians 6, 17, and 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And that thought about prayer continues in the following verses, but I will stop there. Today we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. And as I've been doing the last few weeks, I'll compare this to the armor that the Roman soldiers wore during the Apostle Paul's time. So let's talk about the swords that the Roman soldiers used. The Roman soldiers had a choice of five different types of swords. The first sword is called gladius sword. G-L-A-D-I-U-S, gladius sword. This particular sword was extremely heavy. It was broad-shouldered and had a very long blade. It was the most aesthetically beautiful sword but it was awkward to use due to its weight. When the soldiers used this particular sword, because of the weight of it, they had to use two hands and swing it with all their might. And it was also sharpened only on one side. The second sword was a shorter, narrower sword. It was about 17 inches long and about two and a half inches wide. The second sword was easier to carry and easier to swing. It was a much lighter weight or a lighter weight than the gladius sword, so it was more usable. The third sword actually looked more like a dagger than a sword because it had a real short length. They carried that in a hidden scabbard beneath their outer coat. They used this dagger type sword to inflict a mortal wound in an enemy's heart, but they had to get closer to the enemy to be able to do that. The fourth sword was long and slender. It was primarily used by the cavalry rather than the infantry. And they also used this longer sword, this fourth sword, in a sport that was similar to our modern day fencing. It was not very effective in battle. Okay, and the last type sword, the fifth sword, that we'll talk about. The particular word that was used for this sword, mahera, or mahela. The mahera was a brutal weapon of murder. It was about 19 inches long, but both sides of the blade of the sword were razor sharp. And the tip of the sword turned upward which caused the blade to be even more deadly. It was the most dangerous of all the swords that we've talked about. The wounds from this type sword were worse than wounds from other swords because once the Roman soldiers stabbed the enemy 
or pushed that sword into the enemy, before they pulled it out, they would hold the sword really tight and twist it. It was the most deadly type of sword, the most vicious type of sword, and it did the work for the Roman soldiers. So when Paul is talking to us in the Ephesians about the sword of the Spirit, he's referring to this fifth type of sword. Our sword of the Spirit is just as brutal to our enemies if we wield it correctly as the Roman sword was to their enemies. So let's see how to use the sword of the Spirit. Paul tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit or to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, again telling us that we need to take action concerning God's armor. There are some things for us to do, and then God has provided the armor for us. When Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God, he's using a particular word, which at first I was a little hesitant to talk about this, but as I read about it and did some more research outside of the book that I've been referring to, I felt like this was the way to go, and it's the truth, apparently, from commentaries. Paul uses the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A, when he refers to the Word of God in this particular verse, when he says in Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's referring to the using the word rhema for word, rhema of God. Rhema means saying of God. So rhema refers to a passage from the whole Word of God, from the whole Bible, that has an application in our lives. And that's a quote from the Billy Graham website, cove.org. In the New Testament, rhema is the idea of a quickened word. So what does that mean? Have you ever experienced a time when a certain passage of Scripture came to mind? It was the perfect word or the perfect scripture at the perfect time for you? I mean, just like, whoa, look at this. Or have you ever, did it ever seem like when you were in the word or maybe even you heard someone reading the word in a church service that one of the scriptures jumped off the page at you? When that happens, that's the Holy Spirit quickening the scriptures to us. And that's what a Raymond word is. The Holy Spirit takes scriptures and really quickens them to us in our situation. You know, sometimes people can actually be in church and the pastor may be just preaching about one certain thing and you may have some people in the congregation that God is taking those same scriptures or ideas and talking to them about something totally different than what the pastor is saying in his sermon. That's when the Holy Spirit is quickening God's word to us, giving us that Raymond word, dealing with us, encouraging us, blessing us, calling us to repentance, whatever that particular word does in our lives at that particular minute. How do we know that's the Holy Spirit? Let's go to John 14, 26 and see what one of the jobs or one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. This is Jesus talking to his disciples about that he will need to go away. And when he does, the Holy Spirit will come to be our Helper and our Comforter. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So we know the Holy Spirit is quickening this word to us because Jesus foretold that before he left the earth. 
A rhema, again, is a specific word or message that the Holy Spirit quickens to our hearts and minds at a specific time for a special purpose. And that is what Rick Renner tells us. The Holy Spirit quickens in our hearts and minds a specific word at a specific time in our lives for a specific purpose for us individually. Let's talk a little bit about the Word of God next. I like what Rick Renner says in his book, Dressed to Kill, when he's talking about the sword of the Spirit. And I quote, he says, Do not underestimate the importance of studying, meditating, and praying over the Word of God. Because remember how the sword was linked to the loin belt. We go way back to one of our first things we learned about the Roman soldiers' armor. Their loin belt, all their other weapons were linked to it, and their sword had a place to hang on the loin belt. In the same way, the word that we need from God from time to time in our lives hinges on the presence or absence of his word in our lives. It hinges on us reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, understanding, remembering the Bible, getting it in us so that the Holy Spirit can remind us about that particular scripture at a particular time. Remember that we just read in John 14 that the Holy Spirit brings things to our remembrance. So we need to read and know God's word in order to have a memory of God's word because the Holy Spirit works through God's word. When we feel like we need God to guide us in certain times in our life or we're, we're going through something or there's just sometimes we just want the Lord to talk to us. We just Sometimes I just want him to say, I still love you or I still know right where you are. In order to hear from God, we need to depend on God's word and let the Holy Spirit help us with that. Because going to a special place and sitting until God speaks to you does not normally work. Or locking yourself in a room until you hear from God doesn't always work. What works is having been in God's Word and preparing so that His Word can minister to you at the proper time in your life. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, when He quickens something to you, always, always without exception, what the Holy Spirit says to you agrees with the Word of God. Let's look at three scriptures in the book of John concerning the Holy Spirit and how he agrees with God's word. First, we'll read John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you to, into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He's referred to as the Spirit of Truth, and He will only guide us into all truth. What is truth? John 17, 17 tells us what truth is. This is Jesus, again, when He was speaking to His disciples. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth, and He will only guide us into all truth. And whatever He hears from the Father, He will speak. When he guides us by truth, he will guide us by the word of God because God's word is the truth. When the Holy Spirit, if it's not exactly a scripture that you feel like the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, if it's maybe even a little bit of direction in your life, still has to 
come up to the Word of God, it still has to be the truth, a true principle from God's Word. He won't tell you to go somewhere or do something or say something that is not in accordance to the way God would have us do it from his word. And John 15, verse 26, one more verse about the Holy Spirit. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So the Holy Spirit, again, is referred to as the Spirit of Truth, and when He comes to help us, He will testify of Jesus. How will we know that what He's saying to us is truth if we don't check God's Word or know God's Word? To know that when He testifies of Jesus, it will be according to the Word of God again, because Jesus also was the living Word when He walked on this earth. The Holy Spirit does quicken God's Word to us, but here's an interesting thing about that. We don't usually need a long passage from God. Usually, we get short passages, short words from God, which can guide us a long way in our life. We can even look back and see it and remember it sometimes. Most men and women of God have done great things historically by obeying a simple word from God. Think about Joseph. Joseph had two apparently really short dreams that spoke about his future. Let's check that out in Genesis 37 verses 5 through 9. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheep stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominance over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. And they said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. God spoke to Joseph in two apparently short dreams because it doesn't take a real long dream to dream about binding sheaves in the field. One sheaf stood up and the others bowed down. It doesn't take a very long dream to see the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowing down to you. Take a while to ponder it when you wake up and decide what that means. In the book of Luke, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was given a few words from an angel actually concerning about 34 years of her life, if you include the time of her pregnancy with Jesus. So the angel appeared to Mary before she was pregnant with Jesus and told her about her future. So I'm going to read from Luke 1, first verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Verses 30 through 33. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then verses 35 through 37, she had asked, how will this be? How will this happen? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. In just a few short sentences and in a small conversation, as Mary responded to the angel, she was given information about her life, and I say about 34 years, because she conceived and was pregnant and then had Jesus, and then we know Jesus was crucified at about 33 years of age. So just a few short words to span a number of years in her life. We talked about Peter last week when we talked about the helmet of salvation. And remember the short conversation Jesus had with Peter that's recorded? Jesus spoke only a few words to Peter. He told Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then Jesus told Peter what type of death he would die, and basically that he would die well. And then followed by the words, follow me. A real short conversation that Peter needed at that particular time in his life. Matthew 4, 19. Would you read that for us, Clint? Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This scripture is referring to when Jesus called Peter and his brother Andrew to be his disciples. They were fishermen and he saw them working on their nets and doing some different things around their boat. And all he said to them was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And from that point on, they were disciples of Jesus. They had their ups and downs. We know that Peter failed, but then Jesus called him back. And then we know that Peter basically preached to others about Jesus. So in those, those few short words, their lives changed. It was direction for their life. To the churches in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus spoke to several churches or several types of churches there. But concerning each church and to each church, he only spoke a few words. We won't look at any particular scriptures from there, but if you're interested, you can find those things in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. So my next point is going back to the sword that the soldiers used in battle, the fifth type sword. That particular sword that the Roman soldiers carried, we said it was sharpened on both sides of the blade. We also learned from Hebrews 4.12 that God's word is referred to as being sharper than any two-edged sword. Would you read that, Jerry? For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
I made mentioned earlier, our sword of the spirit is more powerful than the sword that the Romans carried. And that sword was sharpened on both sides. Hebrews says that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. There's nothing that can compare to the sharpness of God's word. We'll explore Hebrews 4.12 for a minute. I'm going to quote David Guzik from Blue Letter Bible Commentary about God's word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. David Guzik says in his commentary, quote, God's word reaches us with surprising precision, and the Holy Spirit empowers the ministry of the word to work deeply in our hearts. End of quote. God's word is alive. It can reach us with surprising precision. It's a very precise living word of God that works in our lives. And the Holy Spirit empowers the ministry of the Word to work deeply in our hearts. When God's Word works in us, it goes right to the heart of the matter, right to the issue. God's Word divides our soul and our spirit, according to Hebrews 4.12. God's Word divides our soul and spirit and discerns us. God's Word can discern our thoughts, our attitudes, and our motives. If we allow it to, God's word will renew us and it will help us to get on track with God and stay on track with God. As Rick Renner says, quote, study the written word, praying over it and meditating on it continually, for it is the source for which your sword will be drawn, end of quote. We can't draw the sword, really, if we don't have God's Word in us and know God's Word and stay in God's Word. We need to be prepared, having already been reading the Word of God and already learning the Word of God before we get into battles so that when we want to draw that sword of the Spirit, we'll have something to fall back on. We'll have something in us that the Holy Spirit can remind us of and help us with. Billy Graham says... Quote, the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, is the weapon that God has provided for us to use in this battle between truth and deception. And he said, make it a priority to wield that word skillfully, end of quote. So our weapon provided from God is the Bible, and he's given it to us to use to know the difference between truth and deception, and we just need to make sure that we use that sword correctly. After Ephesians talks to us about the different pieces of the armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, it goes on to tell us to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So in the future, when I come back to teach again, I hope to talk about prayer at that time. But most of us here at All People's Church know about prayer because we spend time praying, we, or we have spent time praying before in our lives, and we spend time together hearing and participating in corporate prayer. So we'll come back to that later. In conclusion, I want to go back and read Ephesians 6.13 where Paul had introduced us to the idea of an armor of God. So before he began to tell us what the different pieces of the armor of God were, Paul said in Ephesians 6.13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. 
And so he's saying beforehand, after you take up all these pieces of armor, which we know that they all refer back to God's word in some way or another. Once you've done all that, then just stand. After we have worked to put on the whole armor of God, what do we do? We stand. Stand means to stand, to abide, and to continue. Stand on what we know of God's word. Abide meaning stay in God's word daily if we can to read or hear God's word audibly because there are a lot of good programs where you can hear the word read to you audibly. You can put them on your iPhone or your computer and to continue doing so, continue in God's word. Okay, Abraham Lincoln said, be sure you put your feet in the right place and then stand firm. For us, in conclusion, that would be plant your feet in the word of God and stand firm. Amen. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Our good works, nor any other trait, no matter how admirable, are sufficient or acceptable. Salvation is a free gift to all people through the grace of God alone. This gift of salvation was foretold in Isaiah 53, 6. It says concerning the Christ, the Anointed One, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Salvation is a free gift to all people. No works are accepted as payment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes this exceedingly clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20, 31, but these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of Jesus was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. God alone designed it, foretold it, and carried it out. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, Confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation, so say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one, which can be used as a guide. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. I believe you sent Jesus to suffer and die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Please give me strength as I submit to Jesus as my Lord and help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. You can also contact me, Brother Jerry, by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com concerning any questions you may have or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you this week.